0: Um, Good morning, morning, church. church. It's hard to believe that the last time we saw each other in person, I was wearing a sweater. uh, And now I'm getting ready to go on vacation with my family in about a week. Uh, I certainly hope that we get to see each other very soon. Hopefully, uh, God gives us some reprieve from this virus. But it is all in His good plan. Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 4. Uh, We'll be considering the whole chapter. I'll give you a second to turn there. Uh, We're picking up right with the next verse after what we covered last time I preached. So a little mini-series we have going on here right now. as always, let us remember that we believe this is the inerrant word of the true and living God. It is the only infallible rule for our faith and its practice. Hear now the word of our God. From Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Its desire is contrary to you, and you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methushael, and Methushael fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives— The name of the one was Ada, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ada bore Jebal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Naamah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth for she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we confess that you are the rock and your work is perfect. For all your ways are justice. You are a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. You are just and upright in all that you do. And we ask that you would sanctify us this morning as we behold your word. For your word is truth, and the truth will set us free. So sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Through Christ we pray, Amen. Well, parents are always easier on the younger siblings, aren't they? That argument has been going on since the first set of siblings ever. This chapter though really lets us know exactly how bad the situation that mankind fell into actually is. The words of God to Cain should ring in our ears. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. It reminds me of a story that kids in school in the United States have to read by a man named Edgar Allan Poe. It's called The Telltale Heart. In this story, The main character has a man over at his house, and for reasons that I don't remember being explained very well, he murders and buries him under the floorboard. Well, some of the neighbors had heard the commotion of this happening in the early 1800s, you can imagine how noisy it would have been, and they called the police. The police show up, but the man has hidden the body. He is washed his hands. He's made himself look presentable. He is able to deceive the police. But then he starts to hear something. Something that couldn't possibly actually be. He starts hearing the dead man's thumping heart. He ignores it at first. It's clearly not real. He can get away with this. But the thumping gets louder. The police have no idea that this is happening. He is fooling them. They decide that they are going to leave, that it was all a misunderstanding. But the thumping of the heart is more than he can take. He confesses, and he shows them the dead body. We all know just how wrong, how twisted murder is of anything that we were created to do. Murder was never something that was supposed to even enter into the human mind. Human beings were created in God's image. God is creator. He is life giver. They were commissioned to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But because man rejected God, In one generation, rather than filling the earth with life, he is filling the earth with death. So now let us look at this chapter and see what we can learn from it. First, let's look at the family of Adam. The first thing we see in this chapter is Eve giving birth to a son. Now, doubtless, every parent listening knows the joy that comes when you see your child come into the world. Eve is like any other mother. She is overjoyed. She knows that God has commanded them to be fruitful and multiply, and now she's seeing it happen. She knows further that there is a promise of a coming seed that will undo all the evil that has come about as the result of the fall. So she exclaims, Yes! I did it! I made a man! She calls his name Cain because that's what it means. It comes from the Hebrew word that means create. So she names him, I did it! I made a man! Notice here that Eve is really claiming all the credit. She is trusting God's promise of the coming seed, but she can't help but think that she's the one that actually did it. Sure, she and her husband had plunged the world into sin, but they didn't need to worry about that anymore. They found a way to fix the problem themselves. It worked out so well the last time they tried. She had done it. She had made the man that would undo it all. Once he had accomplished the removal of the curse, she would know that it was all because of her. But the exuberant joy at the birth of Cain isn't there with his brother Abel. In fact, we aren't even really given a comment by Eve at his birth. All the text says is, and afterwards she bore his brother Abel. And there's no triumphant pronouncement this time. Even his name is somewhat insulting. Uh, Abel means vapor or breath, it's the same word actually from Ecclesiastes. Where Solomon says, "Vanity, vanity, all is vanity." It's the exact same word. So these names are very important to the story. Hebrew names are often indicators of you can see how a story is going to go by looking at the names, right? Like in the Book of Ruth, uh, the names of the two sons mean like sick and weak, and then they both die. It's it's very common in Hebrew. Storytelling that the names will be very important. So let's look at the names. Cain means I did it. It indicates self-righteousness, works righteousness. Cain is the one who needs no God to assist him in crafting his own destiny. He is the chosen one. He is destined for greatness and everyone knows it. Abel means vapor, breath. In other words, Abel's life won't amount to much. He isn't a great man like his brother. He is dependent, humble, humiliated even by the name his parents chose for him. And so these two brothers grow up. One becomes a farmer, one a keeper of sheep. And they were both raised with stories of the garden. The garden, that beautiful place where Adam and Eve had everything they ever wanted. Yet they are not permitted to go there now, for God is displeased with the sin of his people. God is still worthy of their devotion, love, and respect, though, and the two men both seek to offer God what they have to give. But here the text starts to let us in on what's actually there behind the scenes of the two brothers. We've seen the names and how they indicate that these are different men. Now at the first worship service ever, the text says that God regarded Abel's offering. He looked on it with pleasure. He accepted it, but not Cain's. Why? Is it perhaps because Abel brought portions of his flock and that would have meant shedding blood. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Therefore, Abel was accepted. Cain was not. Well, that could be, but nothing in the text would indicate it. There's a hint that shedding of blood is required when we look at the way chapter three ended, but there was no specific command included in it. And further, the text doesn't say that was the reason God was displeased. Rather, The issue is faith. Abel brought the firstborn and fat portions. Abel brought the best. He came trusting in God, knowing that he was in need of forgiveness. He came confessing the goodness of God, confessing God was deserving of the best he had to offer. Of course this didn't earn him favor with God. God already owned everything Abel had anyway. No, the real reason why Abel brought the best is because he knew that God deserved better than anything that he as a sinful man could ever bring at all. But Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Just some fruit. That's all God needs. Just something to pacify him. After all, why should Cain give his best to God anyway? What had this God done for him? He grew up in a cursed world, working to exhaustion every day because of this God. These weren't the gifts that God had given him. Cain had worked hard for what he had. Who was this God to demand his best? He, Cain, was a great man. God should be honored that Cain saw fit to worship him at all. Cain walks by sight. Abel walks by faith. Now, this does not sit well with Cain, that God regards Abel's offering and not his. The the text says that Cain was very angry. Now, up to this point, Cain may have appeared to be very pious. He had come to worship God. He believed in God. He believed that it was right to come and to give him the fruit of his labor, even if he resented it a little bit. Only now is his true heart revealed. Now, brothers and sisters, how often are we like Cain? How often do we serve God in order to be seen by others? How often do we, like the Pharisees, make long prayers in order to seem righteous, but in our hearts we say, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like others. We are all susceptible to the same trap that Cain fell into. We are all by nature hypocrites, just like him. How easy it is to hold to a form of godliness. How easy it is for us to clean the outside of the cup, but inwardly be full of uncleanness. How easy it is for us to fool one another. For each of us may only see what is on the outside, yet never forget Christians, God sees your heart. God knows all our thoughts that we don't want any other human being to know about. God knows when you hate your brother or sister in your heart. God knows when you resent the authority placed over you by him. God knows when, you des- when desire and lust run rampant within you. God knows when you lie. Sure, it may be a harmless lie, right? I mean, it's one of the Ten Commandments not to lie, but it seems like all of us do it without being able to stop. But who's really hurt by it, we think? But God knows, and God is displeased. God knows when we covet what is not ours. God, who searches hearts, knows every last detail of the sin We have that no one else sees. So God confronts Cain. God actually still has love for Cain, even though he is not walking by faith. He says, why are you angry? God actually comes and warns Cain not to give in to the envy and bitterness eating at him inside. God wants him to repent God wants him to be accepted. He has the opportunity right here in the text to repent. He has the opportunity to trust in God the same way his brother has done. Yet instead of listening to the voice of God, Cain chooses to salve his conscience, that's make his conscience feel better by taking out the one person that he sees as revealing his sin to everyone else. Cain, rather than repenting, simply chooses to remove that which reminds him of his sin. How shameful it is to think that the first worship service in human history ended with 50% of the congregation murdered. Cain has no interest in repenting either. He has no interest in humbling himself, of being what is foolish to the world in order to obtain the wisdom of God. No, if it wasn't for Abel, no one would have ever known that he didn't truly trust in God. Well, that can be fixed. If there's no Abel, Cain's problems are solved. And so Cain becomes the first murderer. Now, God immediately confronts Cain again and he asks him, where's your brother? Now, in this, we hear echoes from the previous chapter when God shows up in the Garden of Eden and he asks Adam, where are you? Just like before, God knows the answer. God knows what has happened, yet he asks in order to bring about a confession from Cain. Now, we should pause and note that the true nature of sin is becoming more visible. Because in in the last chapter, death was a sentence that was promised. Here, sin has actually caused real, visible, physical death. The first ever recorded. But it's interesting that in Genesis chapter 3, there was at least a confession of what had happened. Cain won't even admit to it. He says, I I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I'm not his babysitter. Just like his parents, Cain tries to avoid responsibility. What business is it of his where his brother is? He might be tending his flock. He might be rotting in a shallow grave. What does it matter to him? Cain cares about Cain. Cain doesn't care about Abel. Why should he? So God pronounces judgment. He says, you are cursed. The last person God said that to was the serpent. Cain was supposed to be the seed of the woman. He was supposed to be the seed who would crush the serpent's head, bring about redemption, but instead he turned out to be none other than the seed of the serpent, undisguised for all to see. God's judgment is severe. The ground will no longer be his means of living. That which was Cain's source of pride will now reject him. He had lived for the praise of others, but now he must wander the earth alone. He'll never have the honor that in his mind is his rightful due. That is God's punishment. But notice he's he's not put to death. That would be just in the sight of God for God to put him to death because every sin is deserving of death. And this is a particularly egregious one. But he doesn't do that. God doesn't do that. He shows mercy. But Cain is still unrepentant. He exclaims, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today, you have driven me today, by the way, he's blaming God. You have driven me today from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden, and I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But God didn't say that. God had not pronounced death as the sentence for Cain's crime. Yet Cain doesn't trust God. Cain does not believe that God is good. Cain does not believe that his sin deserves any punishment. What else was he supposed to do? In his mind, he was completely justified. No, no, this God, Cain thinks, is too severe. This God is a liar, according to Cain. But God actually still shows mercy, it's amazing. He places a mark on Cain so that all might know that vengeance is not to be sought. And lest anyone still think to be wiser than God, sevenfold punishment is pronounced on any who would disobey. So the seed of the serpent continues. Next, in this chapter, we see seven generations of the line of Cain. This is the tracing of the development of the seed of the serpent. Cain builds a city, that was disobedient. Cain wasn't supposed to settle anywhere. Cain had been condemned to wander the earth until the day of his death. Yet Cain does not trust God. He does not obey God, and Cain has no interest in wandering the earth, as God has said, Cain will make a name for himself in defiance of God. Then Cain names the city after his son. Now this is very telling because in the Bible, the people who trust in God always name things after God, not themselves. They seek to accomplish things for God's glory. But Cain seeks to accomplish things for his own glory. This is the beginning of what we call today humanism. So, brothers and sisters, how often are we still like Cain? We might not be murderers, but how often do we forget that every good and perfect gift comes from above? How often do we forget that God sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, and everything we have is a gift from his hand? But the Cainites, Cainites, not Canaanites, Cainites, don't see it that way. In the Cainite line, we see ever-increasing corruption culminating in the person of Lamech. Notice the Cainites were the first to transgress God's command that the two shall become one flesh. And they start engaging in polygamy. And look at the names of the people in this family. Ada, means ornamented one. Zillah means tinkling, like, like jewelry, very fancy. Zillah has a daughter named Na'ama, which means the lovely one. Even their names reflect the worldly mindset of the Cainites. They name their children based on earthly rather than spiritual things. Contrast that with names of the people of God. You have Israel, the one who strives with God. You have Judah, praise Solomon, Shalomo, the bringer of peace. These people aren't concerned with any of that. They're concerned with how rich they are, how pretty they are. The descendants of Cain actually accomplish great things. But they're known for their earthly achievements, not how they followed God. God is not even mentioned in any of their accomplishments. They had no regard for him. So people of God, whose glory do you seek? Remember that man's chief end, the whole reason we were put here in the first place, is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Don't be like the Canaanites. The glory of this world is is fleeting, That's the funny thing, the the righteous person in this story, his name means fleeting, but what's really fleeting? The glory that his brother and his family constantly seek. Choose, brothers and sisters, rather to suffer reproach with the people of God than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And Lamech himself is the ultimate picture of the corruption of this family. When Cain committed murder, he was at least somewhat ashamed. He didn't want to admit it. But Lamech boasts openly about what he has done. Verses 23 and 24 are the second poem recorded in human history. First poem is a love song. The second poem is... The account of the great deeds of a murderer. Someone had struck Lamech, so he killed him. You know, many times people uh, misunderstand the passage in Leviticus where it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That law means that if someone wrongs you, that justice may not inflict punishment on them beyond what they did to you. There must be equal scales. They take your eye, then the punishment must be equivalent. Tooth, tooth, same thing. You're not going to extract more vengeance because you're angry. It must be just, but Lamech doesn't care about that. The young man struck him, so he killed him. He is truly walking in the footsteps of his father. Further, he boasts that as a descendant of Cain, he can't be touched. Cain's revenge may be sevenfold, but Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. Now, how different this is from how we as Christians are to conduct ourselves. Christ alludes to Lamech's seventy-seven comment in Matthew chapter 18. Peter came up to him and said, "Lord." How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, "I, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Christians, our Lord calls us to go above and beyond in forgiveness, not in vengeance. And this is where humanity is. Humanity who has abandoned God. Humanity that has rejected everything that God had created them to be. They are obsessed with worldly goods and notoriety. They mock God's created order that there would be two who become one flesh. They flaunt their polygamy. They have no justice And they don't even have any shame in their sin. They flaunt it for everyone to see. What is going to happen to humanity now? Well, as always in the Bible, there is a remnant, and we find that in the birth of Seth. When Cain was born, Eve boasted that she had done it. When Abel was born, Eve seems to be rather uninterested, probably just happy it was over. Now, with Seth, Eve knows that this is from the Lord. She knows that he will be the one to save his people. God, that God has appointed another offspring. That's what Seth means it means appointed, to set up. She has to wait and trust that God will one day accomplish the removal of sin. It's a very hard lesson she had to learn. One of her children had to die to teach it to her. And now men start to call upon the name of the Lord. The world has become a much scarier place. Genesis 3.15 is coming true all around them. The people have only one Hope, the loving kindness and faithfulness of God. People of God, this is our hope today. For God has appointed his seed. He has crushed the head of the serpent. I want each and every one of you to guard against the sin crouching at the door, to not let it rule over you like Cain let it rule rule over him. But never forget that Christ is the hope of this text. Christ is everything that Cain was not. Christ is everything that humanity uh, cannot be. And his blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we know that the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer could never succeed in taking away our sin. For those things were but a shadow, but the substance is Christ. We know that we all in our hearts have all the evil that Cain did, and we ask that your Spirit would guard our hearts That we would put on Christ. That we would grow in the new man, the new creation that each and every one of us who are in Christ are. And that we would trust in his blood on our behalf. Through Christ we pray. Amen.